Welcome back to another edition of the Musketeer Report podcast. Paul Fritzner, Rick Broering with you after the first week of the Xavier season. Xavier 2-0, a little tenuous against Niagara, but a much more comfortable win over Kent State on Friday night. Uh, Rick, you weren't in either, but uh, I was at the first. Then you and I were both at NKU broadcasting uh, that game on Friday night, NKU and UNC Greensboro, but went back and watched them. Uh, so let's get right into it. Let's get into our first impressions of the team, the season, and we'll start with uh, Tuesday's season opener against Niagara. Go ahead. I would just say, like, this team didn't play well for three halves, basically, is where it's at. Like, everyone is understandably frustrated with this group dating back to last year. And I think most people have kind of already made their minds up on where they're at with Travis Steele and where they're at with Xavier basketball now. It's it's like everything else in our country. You're like, you have to be all the way in or all the way out, and there's no reasonable conversations anymore, which is fine. I, I was pretty much expecting that coming into the year. I guess the question is, what happened in those first three halves? Is it the same old, same old that we've seen in the past? Is there reason to think it's getting better? I think would be my biggest concerns here. And with that being said, I think the biggest concern for me would be three-point shooting right now. How, how much longer do we keep watching guys who are supposed to be good shooters not make shots at all before we're just like, all right, there's something wrong with the way the offense is going or something wrong with how they're getting these shots? Because, I mean, it's just uncanny. This team just cannot seem to make wide open three-pointer after wide open three-pointer. Yeah. And I thought it was kind of interesting. One of the points that you made in your write-up after the game, that fluke little play at the end of the first half of the Kent state game where Paul, I think was going to dish it down into the corner for Nate Johnson for an open. I think it was Nate down in the corner for an open three. And then the referee got in the way. And that kind of seemed to sum up the way everything was going when I was going back and watching it last night. It just seemed like everything was kind of flowing that way, maybe a little momentum into the half and then boom, nothing happens because you throw the ball out of bounds. That kind of summed up the way that 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 half and really the first few halves had gone. And I guess if there was a positive to take away from the two games kind of as a whole, you could look and say that Kent State, both of them are by games. Both of them are games you should win comfortably. But of the two teams, Kent State's a better team, more transfers, more higher talent, more experienced players in Kent State. So I don't think anybody was necessarily surprised that they made it a game, but at the same time, there was a game that Xavier in the end should have won comfortably. And they did using that second half and that uh, attack that they had in the second half. But the first three halves of the season, I think gave a lot of people a lot of concern for what they were expecting versus what some of the realities were that came out and came to fruition. Yeah, definitely. Stick on the lines of positives. Paul Scruggs and Colby Jones have been far away the team's two best players. Paul Scruggs, to me, has been great to this point. I think he has taken the next step in his game, at least through the first two games of the season. And to me, what that next step was is him being a more locked-in defender, to be quite honest, because we've talked about how good Paul should be with his length, his toughness, his competitive nature, all of that. Throughout his career, we've talked about that and why he should be a good defender. But really, to this point of his career, he's been pretty good on the ball, a pretty good on-ball defender, but he has a terrible or he has had a terrible knack in the past for falling asleep off of the ball, having some lapses, getting beat back door when he's looking at something else, just things like that where he wasn't always all the way locked in. And because of that, you're looking around and like, especially last year, he wasn't 
one of the team's two best defenders, I would say. And to me, he should be always. I mean, with his physical attributes and the type of makeup he has, he should be one of your best defenders. And so far through the first two games, he has been the team's best defender. And not just in a he's solid, he's in the right spots type of way, but going out and making a difference, making an impact, making plays that spark the offense and get this team going, and also setting a tone for his teammates. And I thought, especially when they made the run in that Kent State game, a lot of that was because of the way they fixed the defense and guys were really playing hard and swarming around the ball in that second half run. And we can talk about the ball screen coverages as well, which I thought was a big deal. But Paul Scruggs has really stepped up. And with Zach Fremantle out, Colby Jones hasn't been perfect. That first game, he was very inefficient. But both games, he's shown he's willing to step up and be a go-to guy on offense for this team. And I wasn't sure if that would be the case because especially last year as a freshman, he was a little bit more reserved and, and conservative on the offensive end. So far this year, he's been very aggressive. And I think that's a good sign. Yeah, for sure. And going back to your point about the defensive changes they made, it they, they made those changes right around the under four timeout of the uh, first half. And one of the first plays that it kind of came into effect, there was a, a dump down into the post. Kunkel got switched onto one of the bigs. And I mean, Kunkel was clearly outsized. And they got the ball down into the post. And instead of letting Kunkel go to work by himself, everybody collapsed around and they got a block out of the play. And then from there, you started to see a little bit of a run into the half. And Kent State still had a lead into the half. But even into the second half, whatever it was, like a 16-2 to two run, you could tell that things just started clicking and flowing a little bit easier off of that. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, they, they changed ball screen coverage. And, and when I went back and watched the second half of the Niagara game again after I had after I had watched the Kent State game and see that they had changed up the ball screen coverages, which is everyone who's been on the message board over the last however many years. I mean, as long as I've been on it, dating back to Chris Mack's very first season, one of the things that's been brought up a ton is how Xavier Hard hedges ball screens and the recovery. And each year, it seemed like to me, as the three-point shot became more relevant and teams started playing smaller and smaller lineups and everyone has a shooter at the four and sometimes teams have a shooter at the four and the five and everyone's so willing to launch any three-pointer with even a slight opening to get it off that hard hedging and recovering to me has become something that's really difficult. There's so many moving pieces and so many different things that have to go right that it's not that it doesn't work and it's not that there's not a place for it, but if that's your only method of defending ball screens with your big men, I think it's getting pretty easy to exploit, especially when we see Xavier get into Big East teams and you've got teams that you're playing around Robin against every year. They've seen what you're going to do a million times and they know exactly how they're going to go about attacking you. I think we've seen teams get pretty good at exploiting that ball screen defense. So what he did in, and actually I saw when I went back and watched the Niagara game, they actually did it a little bit in the second half of the Niagara game too, with Jack Nungy dropping there, there's two different things here. One, when Deontay miles was in the game, they went to switching all ball screens, including their center, which typically they'll switch one through three or one through four, depending on who's playing the four. And then when Jack Nungy was in the game at the five, because he's not as laterally quick, you don't want him switching on to a guard and trying to stay in front of him. They were just using what's called a drop coverage, which is instead of jumping out and hard hedging and putting two men on the ball, Jack Nungy will just slide back, fall back into the lane and sort of slough off in those ball screen situations. And I thought that made a 
big difference for Xavier. I, I mean, it's not like they weren't going to win the game against Kent State if they didn't do that, or it's not like they started getting a bunch of turnovers and it completely changed their offense because they were converting all these steals into points on the offensive end or anything like that. So the the ball screen defense is something that I'm more interested in because of what it could mean long-term for the Xavier team, because I feel like that's been on the defensive end, at least one of the things that's made life really difficult on them. And for years and years now, ever since Sean Miller was here, it's kind of been like a point of pride to, to say, do what we do. And this is how we defend ball screens and it's the right way. And we like having all the answers uh, to how we're going to play our defense. And I just don't know that you can be that inelastic when it comes to defending ball screens in 2021. I think you have to have options and this gives them options. And with a guy like Deontay miles, who has some, has a unique skill set and unique makeup to his game, but isn't all that productive yet. This is one way and maybe in, in which maybe you can get more out of them. And like you think about it, when Xavier really struggled defensively during the Chris Mack era, say like when Matt Stainbrook was on the team and they had to guard Chris Dunn in ball screen situations and they just couldn't do it. That was the birth of the one, three, one. So uh, there have been times where they have been willing to think about doing something else and it has worked very well for them. They've had a lot of success. So to me, I think that's uh, that's kind of the big news here right now for, for Xavier is that they've Travis has shown a willingness to change something up and, with the personnel that they have. I mean, think about the length that they now have on this team. When you can go Deontay Miles at the five, switching everything. Now, all of a sudden, you just kind of form this force field just inside the perimeter of like, we're going to switch every little action right here on the perimeter, and you're not getting past us. You're not coming in because of our length, because of our athleticism. you got a Colby Jones. You've got a Jerome Hunter, who I think has been playing pretty well on the defensive end and, and moving laterally, say, in front of guys. you you got some long guards and Paul Scruggs and a guy like Nate Johnson. There's no reason that this team can't be good defensively, and I, I think that's a step in the right direction. Yeah, and you look at the way that they played in both games and kind of that evolution right into that second half of the of the Kent State game, and that's the kind of thing that you're hoping carries over into this next stretch of games because you look coming up, you're going to have you know Kent State coming off this Kent State game. You got Ohio State, and then next week you're going to go and have to play or potentially have to play Amani Bates and a Memphis team that has looked – I don't know how much you've watched of them Rick over the the last week, but Memphis has looked really, really, I mean, they haven't played a ton of talent, but they've looked really, really good. And they're immediately here coming up soon are going to have some big challenges on the horizon. So to kind of answer that call and calm things down a little bit in the second half of the Kent state game, I think you don't want to overreact too much to a couple of buy games in the first week, but I think you and I talking about it last week, there's there was less of a cushion right? Because of how Xavier had ended last year, or how some of the games had played out toward the end of the season. Yes, there were injuries, but Xavier just had less of a cushion, less room for error, less room for forgiveness to be able to go out there and lay an egg two games in a row. And they kind of looked like they started to on Friday, but then they got things turned around. Now the question now becomes, can they carry some of that over into uh, into Thursday? And like you said, that just remains to be seen. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the front court a little bit while we're on the subject of switching screens because they're most effective. Who's been most out, most impressive out of the front court, in your opinion? Well, Jack Nunji in the second game, I thought played a lot better than he did in the first game. I was sitting right under the basket uh, in the first game, and I mean, he was just getting 
bodied inside it, but it wasn't just him. I thought the entire interior was getting bodied and you could hear the, the um, Niagara bench and everybody talking about just attacking inside. They just wanted to keep going inside, keep going inside. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. And that's just how they kept playing. Uh, and then in the Kent state game, I thought defensively, especially I thought, you know, Jerome Hunter, I, he, you'd like to see him maybe make a few more shots offensively, especially some of the open ones that he took, but defensively, um, you know, I think Miles, I thought Deontay Miles had a pretty good game defensively. Uh, his length was certainly disruptive uh, throughout that game, kind of getting into the paint a little bit. Uh, but I thought Nunji played a lot better on Friday than he did on Tuesday, just because plain and simply, I know this sounds cliche and it sounds pretty basic, but he was just a whole lot tougher on Friday night than he was on Tuesday. And that was evident. And how Kent State wasn't able to kind of get to the bucket as easy as Niagara was on Tuesday night. Yeah, with Jack, I think we're still definitely seeing him settle in and get used to being back on the floor and and playing minutes again. Like he doesn't look like he's ready to play 25 minutes a game right now. But I think that's when Xavier will be at their best is when he's playing 25 minutes a game, if we're being honest. Like I think Deontay has a role on this team, but Jack gives you so much more skill and feel on the offensive end. I think you saw that against Kent state that he can be a guy and he's not a throw it into the post five to 10 times a game and let him work jackhammer guy down and score on him and dunk on him or anything like that. But he was able to like the, the one play I really liked is when he was shielding uh, Justin Hamilton, the six eleven guy off for Kent state and just walked him up the lane till he got maybe almost near the free throw line. And I can't remember who threw the pass, but it was just a little lob pass over the top. Nunji hold him off throws it towards the basket. He's able to get an easy layup out of it with his 6'11 frame, seven foot plus wingspan. Those are the types of things where he can be really effective because he has tremendous coordination, great touch, and that length to go with it. So um, I I really like the way that Jack Nungy was used in the second half of that Kent State game and the way that they went into him more. And I would agree with you that I thought he was the most impressive out of the big men to this point. And he had a couple of and ones too, just going off of that finishing ability. He had one in each half against Kent State, and that one in the second half against Kent State, uh, it was right down toward the end. But th- again, just kind of goes back to his finishing ability, his, his his coordination around the rim, like you were saying, Rick, and just that. I think that just expands Xavier's game, especially missing Zach Fremantle right now and looking for that true post presence for the next couple of weeks. That it's good. It was good to see him have a better game on Friday than he did on Tuesday. Definitely. One of the other lingering questions after the first two games, and again, this is all two games, two by games. <laughs> this isn't meant to be overreactions, but it's what there is to talk about right now. The question of how concerned should we be with Thwan Odom? He really hasn't played a whole lot through the first two games. And in the second game against Kent State, it almost felt like they couldn't play them. And in fact, they really didn't in the second half of that one. You start here. How, how concerned are you about the Dwan Odom situation right now? I, I want to see a little bit of a bigger sample size, but even against two opponents where he should have been cruising, I think that was what was most evident and stuck out. Because if you were playing like that against Kent State and against Niagara, then when your name gets called against a much bigger opponent uh, on a much bigger stage on Thursday or going into the next couple of weeks, 
what's he going to change this week at practice? What's he going to be able to do? Because it didn't seem like he was comfortable on either end of the floor. He wasn't really getting into rhythm on his shot. He hit a couple of shots, but his shots still seemed a little out of rhythm. Uh, he, he wasn't, it, he didn't seem like himself from last year. Last year, he was just so free flowing. He could attack. He was using his athleticism, um, attacking off the dribble. But in the last two games, the first two games this year, it just hasn't seemed like he carried anything of that mentality that he had last year into this year and, and into some of that. So I, it, it's hard to really point out what a, a correctable issue, a, a tangible, correctable issue is for me. I Go ahead. I know you. Yeah, I got one for you. The biggest issue here for Dwan Odom is the guys around him aren't making shots. That's no one else yeah. can shoot. Right. And do you remember what we talked about in the, in the preseason podcast when the question came up of who should be playing point guard, Paul, Paul Scruggs or Dwan Odom, who's the better point guard. That wasn't the issue. That was never the question that needed to be asked. It's not about who's the better point guard. It's about how do you get the best fit on the court? And the issue for Dwan Odom is if no one else is shooting around him, you can't have your best five on the court because that's not going to, yeah. people are going to slough off into the lane and, and play a really tight defense like the first two teams have done in Niagara and Kent State, and all of a sudden it becomes really difficult to play Dwan Odom. That was my point all along. And like you need Scruggs out there because at least he gives you the threat of making the shot. To this point, he's been their best three-point shooter, right? Yeah. And that that's kind of how that's worked. So that's what it's always been about for this team. And that's why that Dwan question has been a tricky one. It's not as simple as, oh, he's a better distributor than Paul Scruggs is. He should be the starting point guard. Especially when you looked at Kent State and how much they just sagged back into the lane. And they just packed it all in and dared Xavier to hit a shot. And teams are just going to keep doing that until Xavier can prove they can be effective. And if you got guys like Kunkel or guys like, you know, Paul, Paul's been shooting pretty well, but you know, Colby Kunkel, the rest of them, if they're not hitting shots at a high rate, then it's going to be tough for Dewan to kind of get into that rhythm. Hold on at a respectable rate, even. Like they're they're missing everything. They can't hit wide open shots. Period. Yeah. Your best two shooters and Kunkel and Nate Johnson, who we need to talk about, aren't making anything. So like that's the issue for this team, and especially for Dwan Odom, is if this team can't make wide open shots, the easy ones, it's going to be really hard to, for him to to be effective. And the other thing for Dwan that's really been a disappointment is he was a really great defender last year and and in the preseason this year from what we saw in practice and the exhibition. I don't know where that's gone all of a sudden here through the first two games. He just hasn't, I don't know if he's panicking a little bit and he's pressing because he's coming off the bench. He's not playing as much. So he's, he's trying to hit a home run every time he's out there and he's pressing yeah. the ball too much. And cause he's getting straight line driven to the rim. Guys are going right by him. And that really shouldn't be an issue. He's usually the most athletic guy on the court. So I think he's got to settle in and maybe get his, his mind right a little bit and realize he has to stick within his role, especially on the defensive end. But to me, the biggest issue for him on offense is that, the guys around him have to make shots and you can say, well, he needs to make shots, but let's be honest. That's not his strength. That's not what he was yeah. brought here to do. That's not what he's going to do. So yeah, I think you'll see Dwan's role increase and be easier for him as these other guys get back to making some shots. If that does happen. So Nate Johnson was next up on the checklist and you just mentioned him so we can get right into it. It has been uh, it's been tough. Nate and Adam, neither one of them hitting shots, like you said, even really at any kind of a rate right now. And until that starts to happen, it's going to be kind of a slog offensively for Xavier. This team right now is 14 of 56 
from three point range, 25%. You've got Johnson at two for eight. You've got Kunkel at one for nine. They're a combined three for 17, 17 point something percent. I mean, I, what are you going to do about that in 2021, right? Like you've recruited shooters. You've tried to base your team around playing some skilled guys that can score. You've done what you can through the recruiting to get your roster in a position that makes sense. I would think, I, I think most people are pretty happy about this roster coming into the year and you just can't find a way to make shots and it's open three pointers. And I know a lot of people will watch what happened in the first two games and especially the first half of that Kent game and say, quit shooting threes, like, attack the basket more, get the ball inside. And I think there definitely is some room for that. Xavier has not done a great job of getting the ball inside, forcing that issue. We're also to a point in college basketball, guys are big enough, strong enough, athletic enough. If you can't make wide open threes and they're able to sag five people to where you have like 10 feet in the paint at all times when you have the ball on offense, it gets hard to drive the ball. It gets hard to throw the ball into the post and they don't have Shaq down there. They don't have a bunch of big bruisers that are going to dominate on the low block. So it is difficult to run offense and attack the rim and get all these interior the looks that everyone wants when you don't make wide open three-point shots. And that was one of the points that you and I made in the preseason podcast when we were talking about maybe tempering expectations a little bit with Nate because you're coming off a season where you were literally one of the best shooters in the entire sport you're probably not going to replicate that again two seasons in a row. Now, that's not to say you can't be a fantastic shooter, but to be one of, if not the best by percentage shooters in the entire country, that's pretty hard to do two seasons in a row. You don't have to be the best shooter in the country, but you have to be a shooter. Yeah. And right now he's not. Yeah, that's exactly that's exactly right. And that's the biggest point with Nate is you were fine with a regression. You expected a regression, but you were hoping maybe like 35%, 36%, not you know, 20 or 25. So um, and it's so early. This is such a small sample size. The one thing for Nate is he does have a tendency to take really tough shots. I think he does need to make sure he's taking some easy ones, some open in rhythm ones. And again, they've all gotten those. Not like there's no one who hasn't taken a good wide open in rhythm shot yet on this team. They've all gotten looks and they just haven't been able to put them down. So I do think Nate will come around. Kunkel is a little more concerning just because he really struggled last year to shoot. He really struggled his freshman year at Belmont. Both of those are limited sample size. His sophomore year, he was a 39% three-point shooter and was great. I think he's closer to being that sophomore year player as an offensive weapon but he's got to prove it at some point. And this is a, the, the thing is you can say, yeah, he's jumped up a level, but the last two games weren't big East opponents. They were Niagara and Kent state, the exact level that he should thrive at and has thrived at already. So I don't really think it's just a level of competition thing for him. I think he just has to get comfortable and find his way with Xavier within this offense. So hopefully both of those guys will come around. I think at least one of the two will, and that'll give you, a big lift. If one of those two guys can get it going, be a consistent source of offense, be a consistent threat from three-point range, doesn't have to be the same one every night. You, they can tag team and tandem it, right? But one of the two have to be making shots on each night, and uh, that'll go a long way for this offense, I think. And if you look around at, at the rest of the game and how everything played out, offensively at least, you, we've talked about him a little bit, but Colby Jones, <coughs> excuse me, Colby Jones, um, outside of Paul Scruggs, I thought was the biggest bright spot overall uh, for Xavier in terms of what we were expecting him to be coming into the season 
and the glimpses that we've seen out of Colby early on. And there have been some things that maybe you like to see him clean up. But at the same time, I think Colby is definitely on that track to being the player that we were expecting him to be in the preseason. There was a play he had, I think it might have been the first basket or very early on in the uh, Kent State game where uh, Kent State had an easy. There were like three guys underneath the basket. He comes flying in for the offensive rebound to put back and, you know, Xavier's on the board or whatever, however it played out. Um, Those are the kinds of situations to me. Some of those little plays that he made uh, in both games that to me looks like Colby is, is on that track that we were expecting him to be on. Yeah, like we said at the top of the podcast, I mean, he's clearly the next best player after Paul right now, which is what you needed, especially while Zach was out. But even after Zach comes back, you need Colby to have that level of confidence and be that same level of aggressive with Zach in the mix, too, because now you have three go-to type players and you have three options late in games. And if someone's struggling or Zach can't get his shots to fall around the rim, you know, then you have a guy like Colby who's not just attacking, but following up and getting a tip in or or things like that. That's the nice thing about Colby and Paul right now is neither one of them are just saying, I need to get my shots and that's my role on this team. Both of them are rebounding. They're getting deflections and steals on defense. They're playing both ends of the court. They're scoring off hustle points. They're all over the place and doing a little bit of everything for this team. And that's great because again, when Zach comes back, we know that's a lot of your offense. Zach's going to take a lot of shots and he's going to score a lot, but you need the guys that are doing the little things, playing defense, getting steals, converting transition points, getting offensive rebounds, even from the wing position. That's what can make this team better than they've been the last few years and can take them to an NCAA tournament. I think Colby looks like he has, he is taking that next step and he understands what the next step is for him. And that was my biggest concern is like, does Colby know how good he is? Does Colby know how good he should be? Does he realize that he might be the best player on this team through the first two games? It looks like he's pretty cognizant of that. Do you have any other overall thoughts, impressions, takeaways, anything, anything you haven't mentioned so far from last week? I genuinely think, and I I don't want to like play it up, too big about the the ball screen coverage stuff about like oh this is definitely the turning point Xavier is going to go undefeated now they're going to beat Ohio State on Thursday it's a total game changer but in some ways I do think this could be a career defining or a, a legacy changing moment for Travis Steele in his coaching career like if Deontay Miles switching all screens and being able to switch at the five and guard people all of a sudden gives you a really good defense and another option to throw out there that could change the whole trajectory of this season. I mean, it could be the difference between you winning those close games, those important games, a Villanova game or uh, one of the Seton Hall games on the road or something like that. Like one of those big games that are crucial. If this ability to switch everything and all of a sudden Xavier can just run off these 10 minute stretches where they are just locked down on defense because of it, that could really change the trajectory of this season. And change Travis Steele's career here at Xavier. And I don't want to be too too dramatic and say that's clearly what's happening here because we have no idea. It was one half and a few minutes against Kent State. Again, they did it a couple of times against Niagara. It looked like in the second half, it didn't change a whole lot. They were already playing pretty well defensively. Offense was the bigger issue there. But it's something that we've talked about so much over the last few years, and there really wasn't a great answer for how does it get better with the way they were doing things. But this is a way that things get better. And this is the way you change. This is the way Noah Horkler doesn't 
go off from the top of the key. I saw uh, the great Charles Bronson post that on the message board this morning. <laughs> those are the types of situations that the hard hedging and recovering and all those moving parts is allowed to happen. It was a Noah Horkler situation last year when he lit Xavier up. This might be able to take those moments away. The fact that they're willing to, to do some different things here, I think uh, you got to have a changeup. You got to have that off speed pitch. And this isn't having to change your whole defense. It's not going to a zone, which we know Travis isn't going to do it and commit to, but it is a way to pretty much play the same style of defense while making an adjustment and doing something different. And I think that could be very, very big for the Xavier program and Xavier fans. So the point I just took away from all that was that you are switching your pick and Xavier's beating Villanova on the road. No, <laughs> not exactly. <laughs> I said a Villanova uh, game, a Villanova game. I, I picked them to lose both. So it could just be the home <laughs> one. It gives them a chance. All right. Yeah. And kind of off that point, there, there was an example of that in the first half against Kent State. Late in the first half, Deontay got switched onto one of the Kent State guards down kind of on the low, on the low post on the baseline. Uh, it was a fadeaway shot, very disrupted. And you could tell that was a little, maybe a microcosm of how that whole situation could play out. So, Positive there, and we'll see how that carries over. Anything else? Thursday's obviously a big one. What do you think a win would mean for this team, but also really for Travis Steele and the way people are viewing this team? Because like, here's the thing. I don't want this all to be an indictment on Travis Steele. Every game isn't Travis Steele's career and legacy, but to a certain extent right now, with the way the fan base is viewing this team and the prism that everyone is viewing it through, everything kind of comes back to, their faith in Travis Steele and where they feel what they feel about Travis Steele at the moment. And like, it's not fun. It's not fun to talk about the, the game in that way for me, but it's the reality of the situation. That's how fans yep. feel right now. I think is everything is based on how do I feel and how confident I am in Travis Steele. What do you think a win against Ohio state means in that regard? I think a win Thursday, all of a sudden, I don't want to say has become more important than it was a week ago before the season started but I think a win will do more for the fan base on Thursday than it would have a week ago. If Xavier had come out and, and won the first two games by 45 and looked like they were going to make the final four. And then on Thursday, maybe they didn't, maybe they shot a little bit worse than the first two games and some breaks didn't go their way. And Ohio state won by three, then you'd still be sitting there and you'd be thinking, okay, we were right in the game and we lost. But when the first two games didn't inspire a ton of confidence to then go out without one of your best players in Zach Fremantle and you have Ohio State who has struggled themselves, they needed basically a buzzer beater to win their first game. And then they didn't look all that great against Niagara either. It's already a mutual opponent. Neither one of them looked fantastic. Credit to Niagara, I guess, for how they played against both of them. But uh, I think Thursday... I don't want to say it becomes more important because I think the importance of the game is the same as it was last Monday. But I think for the fans reactions, the fans emotions to kind of ease everybody's ease, everybody's attitudes toward the team right now, a win, no matter by one or by 20, just a win on Thursday uh, certainly gives everybody a little bit, of a clearer head and a better, more easy feel for this team going forward. Yeah, I agree. I think that it goes a long way. And the point that you made is a good one that it has more to do with how they've struggled in the first two games than anything. It's like 
you, you struggle those first two games. Every, all can be forgiven all of a sudden if you win the big one against Ohio State. It's kind of like the opposite of last year, that that 149 win when uh, Seth Davis, I think it was, said their final yeah. four good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> against Oakland, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it's the exact opposite of that. You know, you turn around, you struggle right after that. If, okay, you come here and you win the big game after struggling in the two bye games to open the season, everyone feels a lot better about this thing. So I agree. It's not going to make your whole season if you beat Ohio State at home, but it, it's a nice resume piece, and it really makes everyone a lot more confident in the direction that Travis Steele has taken this thing to start this year for sure. Last night I was uh, going back over the Cincinnati-Georgia game just watching them a little bit closer because uh, I wanted to see what Cincinnati looked like. And that game is going to be a really interesting game this year, I think, because Cincinnati is better. They are more cohesive and at least good enough defensively to where they're going to be better than I thought they would be going into this year. They're more ready than I thought they would be. And just the sense of how they're playing for Wes Miller and everything, I don't think they're going to back down. I don't think they're going to have that mix moment in the in the Cintas Center where they just melt down and their coach loses their mind and now they're behind by like 15 points. I think that's going to be a good game. And I was like wondering what's going to be the bigger game now? Like if, if Xavier beats Ohio State but then loses at the Cintas Center to UC, like which is worse? You know what I mean? Wh- which would you rather have win-wise? And I know it's worse for fans if they lose to UC at home this year. At the same time, I don't know which win you feel better about, if it's the Ohio State win or the UC win, if you can only have one. I would think objectively looking at the resume, the answer there would be Ohio State. Take out the emotion of beating UC and playing in a rivalry game. and uh, Yeah, but I don't know that you, you – how can you do that when it's UC Xavier? That's my whole point. Like, for well, fans, what are you going to be happier about? The winner over oh, Ohio State or the win over UC if you can only have one? I thought you were saying the the, the resume. Oh, for, for a resume, yeah. Uh, yeah, no doubt it's, it's Ohio yeah. State. Not- okay, yeah. You know, I don't – that's a good question. I, I mean, I still, I'd have to go for the shootout. I, I don't, I, I think if you were to offer any Xavier fan the opportunity to win one of Cincinnati and Ohio State, when, I mean, sure, Ohio State, you look back at the tournament game from all those years ago and you want to use this as like a pseudo revenge game for that. And I, I totally understand that. Right. But the shootout at home this year with Wes Miller's first year for UC you're at the Cintas Center it would just be very very tough for me I totally understand the revenge game Ohio State everything that plays into that with the tournament game from all those years ago but it would just be so hard for me to pick beating Ohio State over beating Cincinnati I think it's Cincinnati without a question okay that and that's what yeah. I would have thought um but the, I was thinking I was like man would it be like I know fans would really want to beat Ohio State because it says more about how good Xavier is yeah. playing right now. You know, it looks like the bigger win, it's the bigger resume piece. But yeah, I don't know that anyone would be able to take a loss to UC this year either. And I think that is now more in question. I am really looking forward to sh- shootout this year because I feel like it- it's going to be more of a real game again this year. If you turned on this podcast and expected Rip Rick to flip the Villanova loss to a win and Cincinnati's win to a loss. I was not expecting this, but here we are. 
I mean, I I, uh, I didn't flip any Villanova game. I have <laughs> I have brought the UC game from a definite win for Xavier into a oh this is actually going to be a game this year category. I think it's like At, significant edge Xavier. Now it's like moderate edge Xavier. Yeah, may, maybe down a slight edge. It might be <laughs> slight edge at this point. I mean, Xavier's got to make some shots before I I'm able to go back to moderate edge. I think. Uh, <laughs> It's, you know, the way things have started this season, UC isn't world beaters. That Georgia team is awful. Let me be very clear about that. Georgia stinks. So I'm not like getting out over my skis over that, but like UC looks okay. I mean, they, they can't score, which was expected, but they really defend well and they play fairly well together on offense. At least it looks like what they're trying to do has worked. They're getting to the rim a lot. They're getting the ball inside a little bit. So. No one signed up for the UC podcast, but I thought it's it's <laughs> somewhat interesting right now to uh, watch the way the yeah. season is setting up for Xavier. So um, I'm really looking forward to both of those games, the Ohio State game and the UC game. But uh, before that, you've got the Oklahoma State game, too, and, and potentially a Memphis matchup. So, yeah, and Oklahoma State just lost at home. They lost a, a bye game at home by one. Maybe that maybe maybe what I was talking about with the the motivation, who knows, but. The good news for Xavier is like with the way they're shooting, if you look around college basketball for like a couple of teams that are shooting worse, it's like a couple of teams on their non-conference schedule. So that's the only good news is that <laughs> like if they're going to get into some dogfights here going forward, they might be playing against the right teams because I think Ohio State and Oklahoma State have both been struggling with that too. So uh, I don't know. We'll see how it all goes. So are you still sticking with a loss against Ohio state on Thursday from your prediction last week, or has anything changed your mind either on Ohio state's end or on Xavier's end that you think uh, gives you a little bit more hope for Xavier on Thursday? Well, I think the play of Ohio state has given me more hope for Xavier. They don't look as good as we would have thought coming out of the gate. Now, again, standard caveat supply. It's a couple by games. Uh, they have a really good coach in Chris Holtman. So I expect that they will get better quickly. And th that could just be a blip in the radar. So I still think this will be a loss for Xavier going into it. But the gap in my mind ha has closed a little bit already. Yeah, I'll be interested to see when the lines come out, uh, who will be favored. Ken Palm has Xavier by one right now. And usually the lines are pretty close to the to the Ken Palm numbers. So I'm going to guess Ohio State by two or two or three and a half. Yeah. I, that would make sense. Usually, usually the the Ken Palm numbers are, are pretty close. Xavier being at home, uh, who knows? But the Ken yeah, Palm I, numbers I, get a lot closer the longer we go into this too, though. Like early yeah. early Ken Palm numbers are usually a little more janky in terms of uh, being in line with the Vegas betting number. Yeah. All right. Well, Rick, any anything else? Any any more news or notes or anything? No, uh, just wrapped up National Signing Day, the beginning of signing week. It's closing here, so you can go to musketeerreport.com for all of that. Obviously, two guys have signed, Cam Craft and Tyrell Ward, are already officially in the mix for next year. The staff has been able to talk about them already. We've got some comments from Travis Steele. And then also, there is still one more guy out there in Desmond Claude. We're, we're waiting for more <laughs> news on him, obviously, but uh, I've got all I've heard to this point up on the message board right now, so be sure to go check that out. All right. For Rick, I'm Paul signing off. Thanks for listening, everybody.